Welcome, everybody, to week two of It's Messy. And before we jump in, I want to just mention a couple of things to you that are very, very important. Number one, if you missed last week, you're going to want to go get caught up sometime this week so you got the full picture uh, in the background. Uh, some things I may say today, you maybe go, hey, 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 I wish I had a little background for that, and we probably covered that last week. This is kind of like a one cohesively long sermon divided up into four weeks kind of thing. So make sure you catch up on that. Number two, this is going to be a different kind of message, a different kind of sermon in that it's going to be a bit academic. And I'm going to give you a lot of information. And it's going to feel like at times drinking from a fire hydrant you've done that, or okay, maybe listening to a three-year-old tell a story, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, yeah, it's going to feel a little bit like that maybe at times, um, but if you will listen fast, I'll talk fast, and we'll keep rolling, okay? I want to start out by making a very personal statement. This is something that is deeply personal and meaningful to me, and I want to make sure you hear me loud and clearly, and I want to make sure that no one misunderstands anything. So right up front, I want to let you know this, and I'm going to put it on the screen just to make sure, and you feel free to quote me all, all you want, okay? My love, respect, and appreciation for the Bible has never been greater than it is right now. And I've been studying the Bible and teaching the Bible for a little over 30 years. I know I don't look that old. I got started young, real young. But after 30 years of, of studying and teaching the Bible regularly, it's what I would have given my life to. I love, respect, and appreciate the Bible now more than I ever have. I believe the Bible is inspired by God. I believe there is a holiness and a sacredness to it. And I'm still learning. I'm still learning more and more all the time. And what I learn changes me. And so I'm still changing and growing just like everybody else. With that said, I want to make this statement now. The Bible is messy. Seems almost irreverent, right? Seems almost disrespectful to, to say that. In fact, some of you are going, I think I need to go to the bathroom because lightning's about to strike. Right. No, 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 no. I mean, no disrespect, no irreverence at all. I say, I say that in the, in the best, in the purest of motives and intentions. But the Bible is messy, and interacting with the Bible is messy, and approaching the Bible is messy. Let me just give you a quick snapshot of what I mean by that, and there's so much more here. I'm just going to hit the highlights of some things. Let me just throw all this up on the screen and just, and, and just hang with me, okay? First of all, the Bible is not really a book. It's a collection of ancient documents. We, we call the Bible a single book, but it, it's best to understand that there's a collection of ancient documents here written over a period of 1,600 years by 40 different authors, and at least it dates back 2,000 years, and some parts of the Bible date back 4,000 years, and there are some scholars that think there are parts of the Scripture that go back 6,000 years. What? Yeah. You say, well, well why, why is that contributing to the messiness of the Bible? Because there's a lot of life in the last 2,000 plus years that we're trying to fill in the gaps 
between what was written way back here in these ancient documents and where we are today and make sure we extract the meaning and understand how that all applies to us here and now. It can get a bit messy because it covers empires and cultures that have come and gone and languages, some languages that no longer exist were involved in the creating and the writing of the original text of the Bible. I mean, so there's a lot of stuff that it can get messy. Let, let me go a little step further. In 1436, Gutenberg invented the printing press. I said, well, why is that a challenge? Because that means that for the first 1,400 years of Christianity, the common Christian follower of Jesus didn't have a copy of the Bible for themselves. When they went to church, it was just like y'all. They didn't bring their Bibles. <laughs> Uh, hey, listen, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. Hey, we, we don't ask you to bring your Bibles. Hey, listen, if I attended the summit and I wasn't speaking, I probably wouldn't bring my Bible either because they put the Scripture up on the screens. Plus, it's too dark in here to read anyway. But if you brought your Bible, great, bring it, bring it. it, it we're, we give them away around here. We, we, love, we love the Bible, okay? I'm just saying. They didn't have, for 1,400 years, didn't have their own personal copy of the Bible. In fact, so think about that. Do the math. It's only been in the last 600 years that human beings like me and you can have our own personal copy of the Bible. In fact, if you want to get a little bit more specific, it's really only been in the last two to 300 years that people like us have been interacting with the Bible because up until about two or 300 years ago, most people couldn't read. I know, I know. And see, here's why that's messy. Because for the first 1,400 years, what most people knew about the Bible, somebody else had to tell them, some professor, some priest, or some pastor. And if that professor, priest, or pastor had some kind of impure motive or an ulterior you know, agenda or a selfishness or something they were trying to prove or hide, then misinformation would develop. People didn't know because they couldn't read it for themselves. They didn't have it, and when they had it, they couldn't read it. So they were dependent on somebody else to tell them what it said, and they couldn't read it for themselves. All this misinformation, and it happened. That's what happened. That's why the Reformation happened. That was what the Reformation was all about. You remember studying about that in school? You know what the Reformation was all about? Some guys like Luther and others were like, wait a second, wait a second, that ain't in there. You're teaching people stuff that's not in the Scriptures. We're going we're gonna to let people read it for themselves. And <gasps> no, they can't do that. And it was a big old mess. And so now translations of the scriptures are starting to happen because now we have a printing press and we can translate it in different languages. And oh man, I'm just telling you, that gets very layered, very layered. And I'm thankful for that process, but it's a messy process. Add to that that the Bible deals with a relationship between a very sinful people, humanity, us, and, and all those that came before us and a holy God. And any time you take a holy God and sinful humanity and put that together, that, there's going to be some messiness involved in teasing that out and working that out. So as a result of these kinds of things and many more things like this, people like me and you go to the Bible for answers, for guidance, and often we're going, I, I don't, it's not clear to me. It's not clear to me. Is, is that a cultural thing? Is that was way back then thing? Or is that a now thing? I don't know. I don't know what this means. I don't know what it means for me. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I don't know if you've ever had this feeling where you've seen something in the Bible or heard something in the Bible and you're like, I don't understand. 
It's often been said, well, I've heard it said uh, a few times that it, the challenge is not what the Bible says. The challenge is what else the Bible says, right? Because you read this and you're like, I got it. And then you read this and like, wait, but this and this, how do I understand this being so far removed from when this was originally written? Well, there's some good explanations for this, and there's a great way to approach it, and that's what we're going to talk about um, and give us a way to navigate this messiness. So let me begin with something that I call the three C's, context, culture, and covenant. The three C's, context, culture, and covenants. When you understand the three C's, you have a way forward through the messiness of, of all this. People have said through the years, oh, the Bible is full of contradictions. That's why I don't believe the Bible. That's why I don't read the Bible, because there's contradictions. It, it, it just doesn't all line up. No, there are not contradictions when you understand the three C's. When you properly apply context, culture, and understand the covenants, and we'll talk about that in a minute, then, then you realize, no, no, this is not contradictions at all. This is a context thing. This is a culture thing. This is a covenant thing. So let's dive in. Context. You know what context is about. We studied this in, in, in school. When, you, when context is being considered, you are asking yourself, okay, what's going on behind the scenes here with what I'm reading? What's going on behind the scenes? It's like when you were in literature class, right? And you're reading Shakespeare. And Shakespeare says this. We go, okay, remember? Okay, what, what was going on in Shakespeare's life? What was going on in the world when that happened, right? See, that's context. Context is setting, it's background, it's who's talking, and who are they talking to, and what are they talking about? It's context. Context is, is what I'm reading narrative, or is it poetry? Because see, there's different kinds of literature in the Bible. Most of the Old Testament is narrative, meaning it just tells you what happened. It's recorded history. Parts of the New Testament, like the book of Acts, is mostly narrative. Recording what happened. And, and then there are parts of the scripture that's poetry, and you read poetry differently than you read narrative. There's parts of the Bible that we call apocalyptic literature, like the book of Revelation. I just like saying that word, apocalyptic. makes me sound and feel spiritual. Here, you try it sometimes. Apocalyptic. Go to the office tomorrow. Say, what about that apocalyptic stuff? And he's weird. Right, don't do that. Don't don't do that. We, we try not to do that kind of stuff. But anyway, it's there. You need to understand. And understand in context the difference between descriptive things and prescriptive things. Some things you read in the Bible is just descriptive. It's telling you what happened. But then there are other parts of the Bible, when you read it, it's prescriptive. It's telling you what should happen. There's parts of the Bible that are descriptive, telling you what they did. And then they did this, and they did this, and they did this. Then there's parts of the Bible that are prescriptive. So you must go do this, and you do this, and don't do this. Understanding the difference is very important, and when you misunderstand these and you don't get these clear, all kinds of stuff can happen. Like, let me give you one quick example. The Crusades. Did you know that the Crusades, there's lots of, remember, remember that in, the, in, in, in school? Starting about the Crusades, where they just went in under the name of Jesus, under the banner of the cross, and they just killed anybody that wouldn't convert to Christianity. Just annihilated them, men, women, young and old, leaving little children, just got rid of anybody that wouldn't convert to Christianity. In the name of Jesus, under the banner of the cross, and we look back on that now with embarrassment and go, oh, that's awful. There's nothing more anti-Jesus than that, and you would be exactly right. But they didn't see it that way, and you know one of the reasons why? 
They misunderstood descriptive and prescriptive, especially when it came to the Old Testament conquests. The years in the Old Testament, when it was so primitive back in Israel's day in the Old Testament, so primitive, it was kill or be killed. There was no diplomacy. There was no peace talks. It was kill or be killed. And that's the way the Old Testament worked. God has always worked with people in a culture where they were. He's always started where they are and then taken them further. And so if you're now hundreds of years after Christ, if you misunderstand this and you look in the Old Testament and say, well, they went in and wiped everybody out, then we should go wipe everybody out. No, that's descriptive. That's not prescriptive. Do you see? Do you see where that gets messy? All right. That's just context. Let's speed up. Culture. Understand culture. When you read something in the Bible, what was the society going, what was going on in the society? What was going on in the government? Who was in charge? Was this during the Assyrian Empire? Was this during the Roman Empire? I know all kinds of stuff. Customs. What were the customs of the day? Because I'm reading this and it looks really weird. This sounds really odd. Why would they do that? Well, was it a part of their custom? It could be that that was about custom. And what was their economy like? How did they make money? How did, how did financial things work into this? Yeah, culture. And then, and then one more, covenants, covenants. Um, a covenant is an agreement between God and mankind, humanity, an agreement. And all throughout the scriptures, there are a few covenants that were made, uh, three, three bigger ones, but two primary ones. There three, you know, Abraham, Mosaic, and then the new covenant, but the two primary covenants is the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant being the Mosaic covenant or the law and the new covenant brought by Jesus. The old covenant in the Old Testament is the very important backstory for what we read in Jesus and in the New Testament. Very important backstory. But then Jesus brought a new way, a new covenant, a new agreement between God and mankind and understanding the difference between those two. And when you're reading, is this about the Old Covenant or the New Covenant? Makes all the difference in the world. Now, if everything I just said in the last five minutes feels like, okay, I get it. About three years ago, we did a series called Trilogy. It was a five-week series. Don't ask me why a series called Trilogy is a five-week series, but we did it. And so go back in our archives on our website, our app, if you need a refresher for what that was about. That's what we talked about in this series, the, the, the context and the culture, and especially the covenants. We spent a lot of time unpacking the covenants and, and how we are to understand those. So maybe that should help. But here's what the three C's are really about. The three C's help us understand this right here, that it's not just about what the Bible says, but what the Bible means by what the Bible says. Do, do you see how messy this can get when you just go with the words on the page? What does the Bible say? And you don't understand or consider context, culture, and we got thousands of years of culture differences and covenants, which is something you and I don't deal with much anymore in our day. It's an ancient culture from these ancient documents. If you don't understand that kind of stuff and you just go with what the Bible says with the words on the page and you don't consider these other things, you get all kinds of messes because it's not just about what the Bible says, it's about what the Bible means by what the Bible says. Real quick, let me give you one fun example. There is a command in the New Testament that appears twice, which means 
It's not just one time in there. It's twice in the New Testament, not the Old Testament, the New Testament. And it's, com- it's a command for Christians. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here and you're joining us, thanks so much for being here. You can ignore this next part. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a command to people like me and you. Are you ready for this one? Here we go. Greet one another with a holy kiss. It's in 2 Corinthians 13 and Romans 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. When I was in church as a teenager, this is my favorite verse. <laughs> Let's obey God together. Right? Hey, girl. You love Jesus? How much do you love Jesus? Let's read the Bible. Oh, looky here. <laughs> Let's get spiritual. <laughs> All right, I'll stop. Need a little, need a little laughter? Okay, great. Yeah. Greet one another the holy kiss. You know, we, we read that and we pretty much ignore that, don't we? And we don't think twice about it. Why? Because almost automatically we realize there's culture present here. Culture, one of the C's, custom. That in the Middle Eastern cultures, especially in the first century, and still some to this day, in Middle Eastern culture, they greet one another with a kiss. Wow, we don't do that. That's kind of weird. In fact, I would not advise you do that. Or let me just say it like this. If you greet my wife with a holy kiss, I'm going to greet you with a holy fist. In Jesus' name, and then I'll pray for you later. Okay? It's just not advised. Not advised, not advised. So what does it mean? That's what it says. But what does it mean for us today? Here's what it means. That you and I should greet one another in Christian love. That's what it's about. Our custom is that we don't kiss one another, right? Our custom is we, you know, shake hands, fist bump, you know, high five, whatever. You know, your culture, however you greet one another, that's how they greeted. Do you understand the difference? You see that? Yeah. So you see how the mess gets in all of this. When you don't realize it's what the Bible means. And you're working hard on understanding what the Bible means by what the Bible says. So now that I've kind of fully laid out the background of how messy this can get, let me try to bring it to a focal point so we can have a way forward. So what do we do? What do we do? How should we approach the scriptures? How should we approach the Bible? This messy thing that we call the Bible. This beautiful, powerful, life-changing, messy thing we call the Bible. Well, let's start with this. The Bible is a story. It's not a system. It was never meant to be a system. It can't be turned into a system, honestly, accurately. It's a story. And this is a challenge for us because we want systems. We like systems. We like formulas and lines and statements. I, I get it, but it's not a system. The Bible is not some kind of systematic formula on how to get to God. You cannot make the Bible just boil down to a formula on how to get to heaven when you die. It's so much bigger than that. You can't take the Bible and boil it down and honestly call it a handbook for life. It's a manual for life. Well, what life? Today's life or first century life or 4,000 years ago life? Right? You you got to explain. You can't just make blanket statements like that and go, well, that clears it up. It's a handbook for life. And here's the deal. Much to my... Uh, those who gave me a degree's chagrin, 
Okay? You can't even take the Bible and boil it down to a theological system of beliefs. It's more than that. And I have a degree in systematic theology. But about a decade ago, I began to see more and more, wait a second, this is not fitting into system. The system I was handed, this ain't, this ain't lining up. Jesus is not playing nice with the system. But then again, I realized, wait, he never did. He didn't play nice with the systems of his day either. It's never meant to be a system. Now, with that being said, what is the Bible? If the Bible's not a system, what is it? It's a story. It's a story of God and humanity, of God and mankind, of a holy God and sinful people. It's a story. Yes, it is filled with truth. Yes, it is filled with principles for life that help us know how to live. But you can't just say it's a manual. You can't just say it's a handbook. Oh, it's so much more than that. It's filled with truth and principles, but also the messiness and the junk and the gunk of people and life. The Bible is a story. And the focal point of that story is on the Savior, not sin. This is huge. The focus of the Bible is on the Savior, Jesus. The focus of the Bible is not sin. Everything in the Old Testament in the Bible, points ahead to Jesus. And everything in the New Testament after Jesus and beyond points back to Jesus. Jesus is the central figure. Jesus is the main point. The Old Testament is the very beautiful and important backstory that gets us to Jesus. And the New Testament is us working out and teasing out what it looks like to follow Jesus as we trust him. But everything comes back to Jesus. The Bible's focus is Jesus. It is not sin. And that's so important. Because people try to boil the Bible and they approach the Bible down just to a book of sins, a list of sin. And here's how I know it. Because when most people come to me and they strike up a conversation about the Bible, here's what it sounds like. Hey, pastor, is that in the Bible? My brother is, wham, 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 fills in the blank. That, that's in the Bible. He shouldn't be doing that, right? That's in the Bible. Is that a sin? I just need to know, is this a sin? I mean, we look at life and we ask, like, I just need to know, is this a sin or is it not a sin? Because if it's a sin and that's in the Bible, I need to know where, because I, I need to go tell them. I need to go show them. Or I'm going to let them have it. I'm going to beat them over the back of the head with this Bible. Well, we don't say it just like that, but that's what we look to do. And it, hey, that ain't in the Bible, is it? Because if not, I really enjoy doing it. <laughs> right. I mean, that, that's how the conversation goes. They don't say, it, they don't say that last part, but that, it's implied. It's written all over their face. It's right. This ain't in the Bible, is it? Do I got to stop this? Right? And you, you can, listen, the Bible does help us understand what sin is. Yes. But you cannot say that the Bible is just a list or books of do's and don'ts of sin. It's so much more. It's a story focused on the Savior's unconditional love and then how we learn to receive and live in the reality of that love, that unconditional love. That's the point of the Bible. So for clarity's sake and a way forward through this messiness, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. Let me go back to something last week we saw together Remember we saw when John was writing, and we were talking about grace and truth, 
And, and he said, the word became flesh. Who is he talking about when he said the word became flesh? He was talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory. The one of the only begotten son of God, full of grace and truth. Talking about Jesus. And he called Jesus, here's why I bring this up. He called Jesus the word. The word of God. In fact, that whole section begins like this. This is one of my favorite passages in the, in the scriptures. John writes, in the beginning, in the beginning of what? In the beginning of the beginning. <laughs> in the beginning of everything. Before there was anything, in the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God. Jesus. And the Word was God. And then a little bit later on, he said, and the word was made flesh and came. Jesus born in Bethlehem. Yeah, that's what we saw last week. See, see that this whole thing's about Jesus. He, he goes on. Through him, through Jesus, through the word, all things were made. Well, the, hey, wow. When we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3, get this. That, that poem of creation what does it say? God spoke. That's word. Let there be. That's word. And now he's saying the word was in the beginning, and through him, the word, all things were made. This is Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. Created everything, and nothing was made without him. And in him, in Jesus, in the word, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The point is, is that this whole thing is focused on Jesus. Everything before Jesus points to him. Everything after Jesus finds its meaning in him. Let me just be so bold to say it like this, for the sake of clarity. The Bible contains words from God, but Jesus is the word of God. Now, there's so much in the Bible for us, but the focal point is Jesus and everything must come to him and be seen through him. The Bible contains words from God. A lot of words from God. Powerful, life-changing, all just incredible, awe-inspiring and incredible words from God. Not all the words from God. Did you know that John wrote that if everything that Jesus said and did was actually recorded in physical books, there would not be enough books on the earth to hold all the information? And so the Bible contains some words from God, but Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God because Jesus is the word before there was language. And usually for us, words have to do with language, right? Well, the word existed before language. And Jesus was the word before there were words on a page. Jesus was the word before there was a physical book called the Bible to contain those physical words on a page. Now, there's abs hear me very well. I don't want anyone to get bent out of shape. There is absolutely nothing wrong with looking at the Bible and calling it God's word. Nothing wrong with that. It certainly contains words from God. And there's a holiness to its contents, a sacredness to its contents. I said that up front. But to be most specific, Jesus, 
Jesus. By John's own words, who was Jesus' closest friend, Jesus is the word of God. Yeah, I can look at the Bible and I learn a lot about the character of humanity. I learn a lot about myself when I read the Bible. When I look at the Bible, I see myself. I see you. I see me. I see us. And I'm like, yeah, he, they did exactly the kind of stuff that I do. And they think the same kind of ways that I think. I see me. But when we want to get to know the character of God, we're told within the pages of the Bible to look to Jesus. That, that Jesus is what God had to say about himself. Jesus is the word. So what does this mean? Just snapshot. When you read the Bible, when you read the Bible, read it through a Jesus lens and a Jesus filter. You should read the Bible, and you should read all of it. But read it all through a Jesus lens and a Jesus filter. Because everything in the Old Testament ultimately points and finds its meaning and purpose in him, Jesus. And everything in the New Testament refers back to and teases out everything that he is and what it means to trust and follow him. It's all about Jesus. His teachings and his words bring clarity to the rest. And if you're new to reading the Bible, I suggest you start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just start there. There's so many beautiful parts of the Old Testament. I encourage you to read there too. But if you're new to the Bible, it will help to start right here in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, especially John. John's one of the most easily understood books of the whole Bible. Now, if you go to the beginning and start on page one, things are going to go okay for maybe a book or two. And then you're going to get to this thing called Leviticus, and the wheels are going to start wobbling for you. And you're going to get the numbers where they're just listing all these names you can't even pronounce. And you're going to go, I can't do this. <laughs> Unless you're just more spiritual than me and everybody else. And, and I'm sure, yeah. No, it, yeah. There's a, there's, there's a great purpose for all of those things in the Old Testament. But it's so important to even approach all of that with a Jesus filter. If, if you're looking for some Bible reading um, helps, there's an app called YouVersion. It's free. Go to the App Store, YouVersion. Download it. It's Bible, but it's more than the Bible. It, it's, there's Bible study tools, Bible, Bible study helps, and reading plans and all kinds of stuff. And you can purchase a study Bible. There's great study Bibles out there. A study Bible uh, is great because it gives you background information and helps you understand the three C's, culture, context, and covenants. And when you're reading something, there'll be a little note here, and you'll go down to the bottom and you'll say, oh, that's why that looked weird. Oh, that's why they did that. Oh, that's what a holy kiss is all about, right? That kind of stuff. Are you tracking with me? And, and by the way, we give Bibles away here. If you don't have a Bible for your own, we have some in the lobby. If there's any left, um, take one free. If we run out, we will buy more, and we will buy them quickly, and we just give them to you. You, you know someone who needs a Bible? Take one. Give it to them. We, we love the Bible, and, and we want you to read it with a Jesus filter. And then always ask questions. Ask questions. Ask lots of questions. Questions are good. Like, who's this talking to? What is it talking about? <laughs> What's the context? What's the customs here? What's the culture? You know, is this the old covenant, the new covenant? How do I understand all this kind of stuff? Ask lots of questions. That's a lot, ain't it? 
It's a lot. It's a lot. And, and, and if you're not careful how you approach all that, it can get really, really, really messy. But there's a beauty to that mess. Let me give you a, a picture as we wrap up to maybe help bring it all together. Are you familiar with a tapestry? Do you know what a tapestry is? A work of art on fabric, needle point kind of thing, tapestry, right? You look at a piece of tapestry and you go, oh, that's beautiful. Have you ever looked on the backside of a piece of tapestry? You're like, that's a mess. Look at all that. There's strings going all over the place and it comes in this way and goes out that way and there's no pattern. I mean, there's definitely design to it, but you don't see it. You don't, I mean, you're, wow, that's a mess. But then you go back to the other side of the tapestry and you're like, now that's beautiful. What's all this? Well, all of that backside mess is, is, is important and makes what you enjoy on the front possible. Now, I, I, my tapestry skills have fallen off through the years, so I didn't bring one of my own. But, so I'm going to give you another example, okay? People come to the summit, and one of the things they enjoy when they um, worship with us is they, they enjoy um, the beauty of, of the stage and the lights, and they're like, oh, I love the lights. The lights help me in the worship of God and everything, and we try to keep all the focus up here to minimize distractions out there. That's why the lights are a little bit more dim. That's why if you brought your Bible, you're going, mm, I can't read it anyway kind of thing. Okay, we get it. We understand. The lights are a part of this. The stage, you know, is just to help with a focal point and, and to help us all kind of you know, be together. But backstage, not, not so pretty. In fact, we have one picture here. Over in this area over here, here's just a snapshot of one little section of backstage. Look at all that. Yeah, you don't want to touch any of that if your finger's wet, your hand's wet. I mean, there's a lot of electricity right there. And, and you're like, cords going this way, that way, up, down. Or like, I'm not even sure. Are those going up? Are they going down? The answer is yes. <laughs> there is a design here. There is a design and a purpose for this, but it just doesn't look very appealing to me and you. It looks kind of messy, right? Yeah. But then you come out and sit right here and you say, oh, look at the pretty lights. The pretty lights are made possible by all this backstage. Listen very carefully. The Bible is like the backside of tapestry. The Bible of thousands of years of empires and cultures and customs and traditions and contexts and, and covenants and sinful people mixed all in. It is like the backstage wires and cords going this way and that way. And Jesus is like the front side. You go, oh, that's beautiful. Oh, look at, the, look at the pretty lights. Jesus, it's what all of the backstory mess is focused on and helps us see and helps us focus on and helps us get to know what it means to know him, to trust him, to follow him. This whole thing comes back to Jesus. I've heard it said, Without the Bible, though, we wouldn't know about Jesus. I hear that, but I submit to you, without Jesus, there would be no need for a Bible. It's all about him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this. This is a lot. It's a lot. 
And so sometimes it's important for us to kind of get a little bit more technical, a little more academic, to help us wade through the messiness of some of this. Father, help us to understand the gift of the Bible, the beautiful, powerful gift of the Bible, all of it, Old Testament, New Testament, all of it has a purpose. I proclaim that I believe, as a church we believe, it is inspired. Contains so many of your amazing, life-changing words but may we never forget that the point of the whole thing is to help us get to know and see and trust and follow Jesus. It's all about him. We will never go wrong approaching the scriptures with a Jesus filter. May we never lose sight of that. And may that give us a way forward. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for what it brings to our lives, but thank you most of all for the word that existed before there were words on pages or languages or books. Thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.